Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Whatever time it is that you are checking this out, thank you so much for supporting and watching all together. I pray that it is amazingly worshipful and exciting for each of you, wherever you may be. You're going to see in the comment section uh, a great person by the name of Chelsea Kelly, and she is providing some online engagement. And so, hey, when you see Chelsea, hey, when she writes something, I want you to do me a favor and yourself a favor and go ahead and comment to those questions that she is posing to each of you as you watch all together. And so today, my friends, we are going to talk more and more and more about Preferences. As we continue this discussion of, it's not my preference. But the question that I'm posing today is, are you willing to try? It may not be your preference, but are you willing to try? Today from Jonah chapter 3. So my friends, I remember my kindergarten graduation. And there was a great brother classmate of mine by the name of Brandon. And Brandon had this speech that he was supposed to give in front of all of the parents, in front of all of us who were graduating. We had on our little caps and gowns and we were ready, man. And Brandon walked up there and he was supposed to talk all about trying in this poem. And Brandon stood, he put his chest out, he took a deep breath and he said, you never know until you try. Everybody looked around. The teacher looked around. She said, say it again. Brandon said, okay, you never know what you can do until you try. And for whatever reason, Brandon could not say the word try. Instead, he said, try. He tried this about three, four times, and all of a sudden, just like loving parents do, they just start clapping for Brandon's attempt because they said he sure was trying and he was really, really into trying, but it just didn't work out. Friends, I want you to know that Brandon had it right. You never know what you can do, what it will turn out, how it will turn out, unless you're willing to try. Trying takes willingness and trying also takes courage. Courage and willingness to step out on faith and attempt something when you have absolutely no clue as to how it would turn out. Friends, we often decide not to try. You want to know why? Because we allow fear to guide us. We tend not to try because, you know what? It's easier to just rock with the familiar <laughs> instead of delving into something brand new. We don't try because people tell us not to. And oftentimes inside our medulla oblongata, we like to tell ourselves, no, nah, don't try. Just stay with what you know. Trying beyond our preferences, it takes intentionality. And there must be a reason to actually try because trying is a lifestyle change. Trying takes a great reason because there has to be great reason for great change. You see, the people at the time of this text in Jonah, they had a great reason for great change. And Jonah's about to give them the reason. 
You see, after running away from God, that's Jonah. After taking a nap on a boat, that's Jonah. After being thrown out of the boat, that's Jonah. Resting and praying in the belly of a fish, that's Jonah. Jonah has been hurled out of a fish, and my boy Jonah has finally stopped running from God, y'all. Mm-hmm. Jonah has finally stopped being disobedient because he was in the waiting room of that belly and of the fish, and he sat there for a moment, and he said, okay, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'm going to do what you say. Well, the fish hurled him out, and you know it. Jonah stops running, and he starts obeying. Jonah goes to Nineveh like the Lord asked him to in the first chapter. And he goes to this scary place, this place that was filled with people who were known for cruelty, who were known for violence. And he goes to this place because he understands that the Lord is serious about this. And so he says, okay, I can't run away from this, so I'm just going to go ahead and obey. And God tells him, hey, I don't want you to just go on a vacation to Nineveh. I need you to reveal some very hard truths to the people of Nineveh. I need you to persuade them to repent for all of their evil ways. The whole reason Jonah is in Nineveh is to reveal to the people that it's time for a great lifestyle change. So notice with me, I told you great reason prompts great change. Well, look with me at verses one through four, and you're going to notice from Jonah the irresistible reason. You see, to describe something as irresistible means that it's too attractive or too tempting to be resisted. You see, To be irresistible, it means you just got to do this. It means that you have no other recourse of action. You have to do it and you have to do it right now. See, Jonah comes to Nineveh and he offers an irresistible reason for Nineveh to drop the bad habits of violence and the gods with a little G that they picked up and began to worship. And instead, he's telling them, I need you to worship the God, this God, the one true God, the maker of heaven as well as earth. And in Jonah chapter three, verse four, Jonah says, it tells us that Jonah went throughout the city on a one day's walk (laughs) and he cried out and said, Nineveh, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. (laughs) Jonah goes to Nineveh, y'all. He doesn't even offer any type of pleasantries. He literally doesn't even say hello. He doesn't say, how you doing? He doesn't ask the people for a cup of sugar. He takes this long walk, gets into a place to make sure everybody could hear him. And he literally says, 40 more days and Nineveh will have his power forcibly stripped from them. Hmm. Friends, you got to understand that power was something to Nineveh because Nineveh ate power for breakfast, lunch and dinner. What would what would they do without power? What would they be without power? What would they even be known for without power? The snatching of power gets the attention of all of the citizens of Nineveh. Now, you got to understand, these people don't know Jonah. Jonah is a stranger to them. But one thing Jonah has done is that Jonah has tap danced, if you will, on their creature comfort that they love the most. And this is an irresistible reason for these great citizens to listen to what Jonah is saying. 
friends, what you notice here is that the reason Jonah was able to go and literally talk to the hearts of the people is because God ordained for Jonah to go. Therefore, this is God in action. Because I want you to catch this today and look at yourself for a moment because God has a way of knowing exactly what his children need to hear to ultimately get our attention. I'm going to say that again. God has a way of literally tapping you on the shoulder and doing what he has to do to get your attention. God knows our secret sins and the things that we hold very close to our hearts that no one else is aware of. For Nineveh, it was power. For others of us, it may be pride. For Nineveh, it was power. For some of us, it may be lust. For Nineveh, it was power. For others of us, it may be validation. For Nineveh, it was power. For some of us, it may be greed. Here in this text, God uses Jonah to get the attention of the people to offer to them an irresistible reason as to why they need to stop dating God. Watch this and follow God wholeheartedly. They say, you know, stop dating God. You know how you talk to somebody, but you may have someone else you talk to. You may have someone else whom you are texting and you, you got them. They are a plethora of other people and they're one in the number where they're saying, hey, stop worshiping like that <laughs> because the God who made the heavens and the earth deserves all of you, all of your praise, not some of your praise. Friends, through Jonah's words, God is telling Nineveh, I see you. He's telling Nineveh that I see you and I see what you're doing and I see what's happening internally to your minds, but also to your hearts. I see that this violence is taking root in you so much that it's transforming you into a person that I am not pleased with. God sees that they're drunk with cruelty. He sees that they are addicted to power. He sees that they are infatuated by pride. And Jonah, this stranger, tells them their present issue. <laughs> they have to be feeling like, oh my God, how does this brother know my issue? How does this brother understand what I am wrestling with? You want to know why? He doesn't, but God does. <laughs> and I want you to catch this, friends. Don't ever prescribe to a person, place, or thing and say, you know, that's just a coincidence. No, sweetie, if it's wise counsel, that's God trying to speak to you. <laughs> Sometimes God has a way of sending people to warn us, to help us, and to lead us into a more intimate and close relationship with God. But oftentimes, we tend to write off that information if we are not fond of the vessel that it comes from. And I want to step on your toes because the Lord stepped on mine this week and told me that, Joshua, you are not in charge of who I use to get your attention to move you back to where you need to be. God doesn't have to ask our permission and have us sign a permission slip saying, you can use that person. Mm, maybe you can use that person. No, what God does, God is concerned about getting our attention. Again, I'm going to tell you something that we ended the last sermon with because he's concerned about making us holy and not always happy. <laughs> Friends, this is what's going on in the text right here that we're seeing that the irresistible reason that these people need to drop their love affair with violence is because they need to turn to God. <laughs> 
Well, friends, this is what happens in verses one through six. But I want you to notice what happens in verses five through nine, because after Jonah got in there with his bullhorn and told these people 40 more days and all the power is coming down for Nineveh. Notice with me their response. And we notice here that we see widespread repentance. They respond in widespread repentance. Everyone in Nineveh was called to repentance. They were called to repentance by God. Look at what it says in verse five. It says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, removed his robe from himself, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the dust. And he issued a proclamation and it said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no person, animal, herd or flock is to taste anything. They are not to eat or drink water, but every person and animal must be covered with sackcloth and people are to call on God vehemently. And they are to turn each one from his evil way and from the violence which is in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger so that they will not perish. Friends, in verses five through nine, I need you to catch what's happening. Over three times is the word sackcloth used. Whenever scripture repeats something over and over again, you have to pay attention. Now, I got to tell you that wearing sackcloth was way more than a fashion statement. It was way more than wearing polo or way more than wearing any type of brand that we find today, Nike, you name it, Under Armour. This right here, wearing sackcloth was actually a spiritual statement. Mm -hmm. You see, sackcloth is a coarse fabric made of goat's hair and was worn for the purpose of expressing grief, sorrow, but also repentance. Mm. The people of Nineveh, young and old, they hear Jonah's words that 40 more days, the power's about to be stripped away and they put on sackcloth, pray, repent and abstain from food. They take these extreme measures with the hope that God would offer them mercy instead of God's wrath. Notice here how in Jonah's obedience to go to Nineveh, even though he didn't want to go, even though it was outside of his preference, these once cruel citizens have now turned to people of prayer and repentance to God. Oh, friends, this just makes me happy. I can't even see you, but I'm happy because I'm happy because you got to see what Jonah's doing in the text because of Jonah's yes. <laughs> These people's lives are changed. These people who once were feared are now fasting. These people who were once in love with violence have now turned to God. You never know the domino effect of your obedience to God. Sometimes God will call you into radical obedience just so somebody else will muster up the courage to follow God themselves. Sometimes God will call you to forgive someone who has drastically and intentionally hurt you just by you forgiving them and them saying, you know what? 
<laughs> I need to be a better person. Friends, catch this, and I'm going to say it twice, that in the economy of God, the currency is obedience. In the economy of God, you can't buy things with your likes or your followers. In the economy of God, you can't buy things by material possessions. But in the economy of God, the currency is always obedience. Jonah here is used by God to deliver a message that prompts widespread repentance But let's apply this. What way is God wanting to use you that you could possibly be running away from? Perhaps it is a faith step that you are scared to take. Maybe it is a courageous conversation that you are fearful to have. It very well could be you releasing a friend or partner so that you both can fully lean into the individual purpose and plan that God has for you. What way is God wanting to use you that you're running away from? Whatever it may be, realize that our obedience can have a domino effect where we fall more into love with God. And as we are in the presence of God, not only are we made better, but those in around us, those in our spheres of influence are given the opportunity to follow God as well. Friends, God's not asking you to be perfect. God's not asking you to know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, John. He's not asking for a Bible drill. God is asking for you to have the resolve to trust God and to follow God with everything you got to obey God fully. Friends, in our text right now, in verses five through nine, we see the citizens of Nineveh praying and fasting. They're halting the cruelty and violence that they're known for. And with all of this, they're hoping that God will change their his mind. With all of this, they're saying, God, we have turned our back to sin and our hearts to you. And we're saying, God, we know we were wrong. We acknowledge our wrong. But guess what? We need your mercy. And that's what God delivers in verse. 10, one verse, you notice how God responds with a merciful response. When we think of God's mercy, I like to raise for your thoughts right now. One of the quotes from the early church father, St. Augustine, he once said, trust the past to the mercy of God, the present to his love and the future to his providence. You see the citizens of Nineveh here in the past committed actions that were far from loving. Yet, as they hear Jonah's passionate appeal, they turn to God. And in verse 10, look at what it tells us. It says that when God saw them all in sackcloth, praying, abstaining from food, that he saw that they turned from their evil way. Then, watch that then. Hmm, That's a powerful then. God relented of the disaster which he had declared he would bring on them. So he did not do it. Friends, mercy is what God gives. And mercy is always coupled with compassion. See, mercy means to show loving care to someone. God sees the people of Nineveh trying. They don't have it all right. They don't have it all together. He just sees them trying. 
And he sees them trying by dropping their bad habits of violence and turning to God and turning in a way that they are saying, God, we need you. He sees this and you know how he responds in mercy, in love combined with compassion. Friends, instead of wrath, God offers warm love. Instead of the end, God now has granted them a place of beginning. Instead of disaster, God has turned their situation into that of delight, into a delightful, loving relationship with God. Mercy, friends, is evidence that God sees us, but also that God cares for us. I like to compare it to this. As a child, I love getting on the jungle gym. Mm -hmm. I love that thing. I used to think I was climbing through the trees like Tarzan. Sometimes I would even say, oh, oh, oh," you know, so people could hear me, you know, act like I was Tarzan. (laughs) But I remember something I would always tell my friends. I would say, my mom has eyes everywhere. She even has eyes on her back. (laughs) And one day in particular, I remember playing on the playground. I was playing on the jungle gym and my mother was sitting in an area totally to the other side of where the jungle gym was. She was sitting over there talking with some other parents. And I remember I was on that jungle gym and I was hollering like I was Tarzan. And I fell down and I skint my knee. And I remember my little crocodile tears start flowing out of my eyes. And before I could drop about two of them, I see my mother in heels, in a business suit. She has run from the other side of the playground to where I am. And before I could belt out a holler like a child would, she said, baby, baby, are you okay? I said, yes, mama. She picked me up because I was a very little boy at this time. And she says, everything will be okay And it was. My mother showed her love by caring enough to run in heels to where I was in pain. She cared enough to further show me compassion by empathizing with my pain. But friends, in a way that is so much better than a loving parent, God has eyes everywhere. When we fall, God is there. When we are loved, God is there. When we are hated, God is there. When people spread rumors about us, God is there. When we were at a dead end full of sin, God sent Jesus to tangibly be there, to die for us, to reroute us, to show us a living, breathing expression of mercy. God is merciful. God cheers for his children. He helps us and God loves us daily. No, we may not wear sackcloth, but we can grieve. We can pray. We can turn our backs to sin and our hearts to God. And as we do, we experience the mercy of God, which is unparalleled. The mercy of God, which is unmatched. The mercy of God, which is unrivaled. When we are willing to just try, y'all, God is always ready and able to dispense more mercy than our attempt. Friends, we live in this world, but we love to believe we got to have it all together. 
We use filters on social media to not show everybody our blemishes. We won't tell people even in the church how we have struggled or how we are presently wrestling. We act like we have it all together, but we do not. And God loves us just the same. If God wanted us to be perfect, there would never be a need for God's mercy. And so, friends, I want you to hear the people of Nineveh's testimony that when they turned to God, God gave them mercy. Maybe you're watching this and you, like me, have made a bunch of mistakes. Maybe people have written you off and possibly told you that you'd never be anything. Well, I want to just stand here and proclaim to you that they're lying to you because you are something, if not to anybody else, you're something to Jesus. And so if by chance you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need to love this person because they and Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit loves you. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.